We are in week five of a series called Divine Direction, and this series is all about is all about God's will. That's kind of the, the Bible way of saying it. God's will, and really the, the way we've said it is we want to be in the right place at the right time doing the right things. Isn't that true? That all of us at some level, that's what we want for our lives. We don't want to be doing the wrong things. We don't want to end up in the wrong place, and we definitely want, don't want to be, you know, doing something at the wrong time. And so the perfect combination is God's us would be to be doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. That is God's will or, or God's plan. It's the best place we could ever be. And as a pastor, hands down, I mean, going away, the number one question that I'm always asked or category of question that I'm always asked is about decisions. What should I do? Should I take the job? Should I marry them? Should I leave them? Should I uh, quit this job? Should I, what church should I go to? Like, all kinds of questions about making sure we're in the right place at the right time, doing the right things. And so this has been a really, uh, really great series. Last week was pretty cool. We got to hear from Pastor Craig Groeschel from Life Church in Oklahoma about the wisdom to decide that God doesn't just make it obvious to us all the time. There are some things that are obvious, but he doesn't just make it obvious that he's not a magic eight ball, but that he gives us the wisdom to decide and, and we decide and we trust, and if we make a mistake, we get wisdom. I just thought that was an incredible message. And so today, for week number five, I want to kind of talk about this idea or, or maybe, maybe dive into this idea a little bit because I think, it's, I think it's prominent. It's probably something that is in us that we don't think about is in us. It's not something we talk about a lot out loud, but I think all of us maybe have this tendency to believe that if it's God's will, then that means it's going to be easy. Like, we've never said it that way, but the thought is, somehow in our minds, the thought is, okay, if it's God's will, then doors are going to open, and things are going to happen, and it's going to be easy. And if I'm going through something that's not easy, or there's a lot of resistance, or doors aren't opening, or I'm bumping into walls, like, then that's not God's will. Does that make sense to everybody? So we've probably never exactly said it that way, but in our minds we think, okay, I'll know it's God because it'll be easy, right? And so I want to talk about that a little bit because it's not true, first of all, it's not true, but, but what are the implications of that idea? What are the implications? Just want us and, and what that means for our lives. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture today. Just one. It's in Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and find that, flip open to that. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 20. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Find First or Second Corinthians and you're getting close. All right, this one can be a little tough one to... To find, but this is First Philippians or at First Philippians, Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-two is a famous verse that you've probably heard of, where Paul said, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." That's a you probably got that on a coffee mug somewhere in your house. Uh, but verses twenty and twenty-one have a lot to say about our mindset when it comes to. Uh, God's will for our life. So if you, if you have a Bible, follow along with me. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. You can follow along, follow along there, all right? Here's what it says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul talking, and he said, for I fully expect and, what's that word? Hope. And I love that word, hope. I fully expect and hope 
that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold is what the NLT says. In the NIV it says, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You can read these words and like they're good, you know, on their own they're good, but when you understand who's writing them and what time he's writing them in, they begin to take on a whole different meaning. We, we said that we sometimes believe that if it's God's will, it'll be easy, and if it's hard, it's not God's will. And if anybody understood that that was completely bogus and that understood that sometimes even though it's God's will, it's hard, it would be the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul is writing these words while sitting... And he's pretty sure the next place he's going to go, he's going to die. And so he, he has given his life to Jesus. He has started churches. He has traveled the known world. He's done everything he can for God. He's in prison. He's being beaten. And here's the kicker. He's exactly where God wants him to be. Process that information for just a second. He's exactly where God wants him to be. He didn't do anything wrong to get in this spot. This is not somehow a consolation plan of God. This is the will of God, the plan of God for Paul's life. And so when we hear something like that, we think, well, that doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like something that God would do or the kind of plan that God would have. And so as we think through that, like Paul's in prison, he's writing these words, he knows death is probably imminent. It makes the first few words that we read in chapter 1, verse 20, all the more powerful, right? Because look at what he says. Look at how he starts the scriptures. He says, for I fully expect, or he says in the NIV, I eagerly expect and hope. I love the way that he starts this because Paul, who is sitting in prison, says, I have an expectation about my future. Like, I'm feeling pretty hopeful about my future. And we're sitting there going like, Paul, what is there to be hopeful about? This is pretty awful. He's like, no, man, I, you know, the more I think about it, I, I have a pretty eager expectation. And, and I, I, I am feeling pretty, pretty hopeful. I love these words because I think for so many of us, we've lost them. We've lost them. Isn't it fair to say that, that when we were younger or when we were thinking about our future or what we wanted to do with our life or God's plans for our life, isn't it fair to say that we had expectation clocked in? You remember, like, let me, let me put it to you this way. You remember the first time you went to your first job and clocked in? You remember how excited you were? You remember that? Like, oh my gosh, I just can't wait. I start my job tomorrow, and I, I got to be there at like 8 a.m., and I got to clock in, and, you know, maybe the boss will let me work overtime. I don't know. Like, that would be incredible. Just make a little more money, and you remember that, like, expectation and excitement you had about going to work, working minimum wage? You probably don't feel that way anymore. I'm just going to go out on a limb. That's not a special gift or anything. I'm just saying you probably don't feel that way anymore. But you used to, like you used to have this expectation, this, this hope about what your life would look like and what, the, and what the future would look like. But what happens to so many of us is we have so much scar tissue because, come on, let's be honest, 
life sucks the life out of you. You get let down, you get disappointed, somebody hurts you, you get treated unfairly, your boss fires you, you lose money on an investment, whatever it is. And instead of being expectant or hopeful about your future, you become cynical and you begin to expect the worst. Isn't that true? So instead of being excited about your job, you're like, well, you know, this probably won't be a job I stay at very long, but, you know, it pays the bills, right? He's probably not the guy I'm going to marry, but, you know, he's all right for now. Like, what happened to the expectation and the hope? It's cynical. It's, it's pessimistic. And I totally get it. I totally get it. But I, um, I think it could be different. I believe that it could be different. You know, Hope City Church exists. You got to know this. We exist to share real hope. So that people can experience real life. People can have real life. We believe that with all of our heart. It's what God's called us to do. It's, it's what we're all about. And we want you to feel better when you leave here. It's not all about feeling better, but anybody got a problem with feeling better? Is that okay? Can we just feel better? Like sometimes you go to church and you think the goal is for them to make you feel worse. We don't want that to be the case. We want to feel better. We'd love for you to smile and be like, wow, I actually enjoyed that. Like, but more than just feeling better, we want you to believe that God really does have a plan for your life. That God really does have a future for your life. That God really does love you. But I, I, I totally understand. I totally understand why that could turn a little bit. But I, I was reading a book on a plane. This was like two or three years ago. And I have tried all week to remember what the book was and who the author was. I read a lot of books. I cannot remember. But I, whoever it is, if you happen to be listening to the podcast, I'm giving you credit anonymously. Uh, but... <laughs> I was reading this book, and, um, and the, the, the portion of the book I was reading was about reading the Bible, and he was talking about how important it would be to read the Bible, uh, to read the Bible, how important that is. And, and, um, and he said most people struggle to read the Bible because they have a wrong view of God. And he said, so, so what about this? He said, how would it change the way you read the Bible if when you read it, you imagine God is smiling? And I never heard that, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty good. Like, I, I like that. Like, that God would be, would be smiling. And so I decided that I'm just going to steal that concept and let's just apply it to every area of our lives, especially, especially your future. I believe that the way you view God and the way that you think God thinks about you determines so much of your life. So much of your life. So how would it change for you if right now, you believed that when God thought about you, he was smiling. Like for real smiling. Like not laughing at you, like grinning ear to ear when, he, when somebody brings up your name. You know, like how you feel about your kids, most of your kids. Like how you, like when, when, when somebody, like I'll be on a trip and somebody say, do you have kids? And I'm like, well, actually I do. Here, let me, let me show you these pictures. You're going to love this. And like, what if you believe that that's how God felt about you? Right? Let me take it a step further. What if that when God thought about your future, he smiled? What, like, like up in heaven, like right now, it's, it doesn't work this way, but we'll just go with this. That up in heaven right now, one of the angels is like, hey, you know, what about, uh, what about Jimmy's future? And he's like, <laughs> he's just like excited about it. Right? How would that change the way you feel about your future? What if I was able to convince you that God had an expectation and a an hope 
about your future, you think maybe you could begin to have an expectation and a hope about, about your future? But here's what most of us do. And it's, it's this religious, moral thing that we were handed by somebody in our lives, and we all struggle with it. But here's what we do. We think that God has plan A, amazing, awesome, perfect will for our lives that he smiles about, but then we screw it up. And so then God's ticked about it. You know, but he, you know, he's got to stand by his word, so he has to love us, so he loves us. He has to save us, so he saves us. He has to give us a plan for our lives. So he's like, well, I'm not going to give you plan A because you screwed it up. So here, here's a consolation plan. You know, I'm not going to let you have an incredible marriage because this is marriage number two. That's what you think God thinks. I'm not going to let you have an incredible family because you had an abortion. I'm not going to let you ever to get it together financially because you filed bankruptcy. I'm not going to ever really let you experience this incredible life because you are a drug addict or you're an alcoholic. And you may never say it like that, but you feel that way about yourself, and so you assume God feels that way about you. And so you think that when somebody says your name to God about your future, he's like, eh, man, it could have been great. could have been great. I mean, it'll be all right, but could have been better. Because that's what you think about yourself. But that's not the way that God feels about you. Did you know that? That when God thinks about you and when God thinks about your future, he's smiling because he knows it's great. Have you ever had somebody tell you not to get your hopes up? Somebody in your life thinks that's going tell you that? Maybe you've said that. Like, you think it's your job to be the devil's advocate? Or somebody in your life thinks that's their job to be the devil's advocate? And we say around here all the time, devil don't need no advocates, Okay. And so maybe something happened in your life and you were excited and you thought that everybody would be as excited as you are excited about it. So you begin to talk about it. Maybe there's going to be a promotion at your job. You're not sure yet. Maybe you're going to be able to go out on a date with him or her. You're not sure yet. Maybe you're going to get a raise. You're not sure yet. And so you tell somebody about it and they think that it's their job in life to make sure you're grounded, right? And so they say, hey, I think that's great, man. I'm so excited for you. But what do they say? Don't get your hopes up. I would, I would hate to see you crushed. I would, and, and, they, and they mean well, and you mean well when you say it. But can I, I just want to say this one. I think that's terrible advice. I think it's terrible advice. We want you to get your hopes up. We want you to believe again. We want you to dream again. We want you to actually believe in your heart that God's plans for your life are incredible. That they are great. And we, we want you to get excited and have an expectation and a hope. And listen, if something discouraging happens, that's why you've got a family. That's why you've got a church. And we'll rally and we'll cry together and we'll pray together. And then we'll get our hopes back up. Because God wants you to live with an expectation and a hope about your future. So what's the dream? What's the big prayer? What's the, oh my gosh, I can't even say it out loud, but like, if God could somehow give me like just a piece of that, that would be amazing. What's the dream? Like money's not an issue. You can break away from whatever you need to break away from. Like what is the dream? What is it like if God let me lay it out, this is what I would want, Jason. Great, now we know what to pray for. He said, well, what if that's not what God wants? If God wants something different than that, guess what? That means it's better than that. Process that for a second. So there's two options. Different dream that God gets in your heart, which you think would be awesome. 
or there's a different dream that God has that's not that dream. And if it's God's dream for your life, it's better than your dream for your life. There are no bad scenarios. It's either what's in your heart or what God wants for your life. And he works everything together for good. So Paul's sitting in prison. Death is on the horizon. He's like, man, I feel good about it. I, I just kind of have this hope that, like, God knows what he's doing. And, you know, maybe, maybe you're going through something right now in your life that's not good, but God's doing something good in you. We can at least celebrate that. And so Paul's like, I, I am feeling pretty strong, feeling pretty good about it. And so we want you to get your hopes up, but Paul doesn't just stop there. That would be good enough. Like, we could just pray and go home, and that would be fine. But he doesn't stop with expectation and hope. That's huge. We got to have expectation and hope. We got to expect great things. We got to stop being so cynical. Talking things down is good. But he, he goes on one step further and, and, and he says in the second part of the verse, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will win, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient, what's that word? Courage. Paul says, as I look into the future of my life, I'm expectant, I'm hopeful, and I'm fully aware and feel pretty good about the fact, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that I will have sufficient, sufficient courage. You know, we don't ever really talk about this, but we need to. Because if you're going to do anything great with your life, you are going to need courage. You're not going to do anything great in your life without courage. You're not going to accomplish anything you accomplished it in life outside or inside of your comfort zone. You've already accomplished it. That's why you're comfortable with it. So the next best thing or the great thing or God's plans for your life are just over the hurdle or just over the cliff that you have to jump or the step that you have to take by faith. And so Paul's thinking about his future, and it could be real bad. He's like, I'm expecting, I'm hopeful that I will have sufficient, sufficient courage. It is crazy to me. It's crazy to me how much our past experiences bleed over into our life still like in the present today, psychologically. Like how much our past experiences as children, a lot as children, usually from male figures in our life, I mean, it's pretty incredible the more you research it, how it bleeds over into our life, especially in the area of fear. Let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody in the room as an adult still afraid of something that you were afraid of as a kid? Let me see your hand. Anybody? A couple of you guys be honest. Yeah, I, I am for sure. Uh, totally. So I don't watch scary movies. And um, I know you're like, no, watch it with me. You'll love it. No, no, I don't watch scary movies. You know why? Hocus pocus. <laughs> Bette Midler and them teeth, man. It was just like, and I, my, my, my parents went and saw some other movie and me and my brother went and saw it in the theater by ourselves, And it was the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. I will not watch it to this day. You know why else? Unsolved mysteries. 
you think I'm kidding. YouTube that. I'll freak you out, right? And so as a kid, like, I had these, like, scary experiences, and I'm kind of joking, but I'm being serious as well, that these experiences shape that, like, so when a scary scene comes on or something happens, like, there's something in me because of my child. I get scared, but over it, but you need to get over me getting over it, that, like, I just... I get scared, but let, let me give you some more serious options. So when I was a kid, I was 11 years old, and um, my dad ran these camps during the summer, and this one summer I ran around like out in the woods in this campground for five weeks, and I had my shoes off, I think is the explanation they gave me, and so on my right foot, I got 12 warts on the bottom of my foot. And so my mom says, hey, we got to go get those taken off. And I'm like, no, it's going to be awful. My dad's like, I had one one time. It's no big deal. They're just going to like rub something on it. You'll be fine. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound bad. I'm expectant and hopeful. Let's go. We can do this. So we go into the doctor's office, and the doctor looks at it, and he's like, well, we're going to have to burn it off. I'm like, say what? Like, you're going to have to, what? He said, we're going to have to burn it off. We're going to have to numb it, and then we're going to have to burn it off. I said, how are you going to numb it? He said, we're going to give you a shot. I said, one shot's not that bad. He said, no, we're going to have to give you a shot in every wart. No exaggeration. This is no preacher story exaggeration. They lay me down on a table, and they have like four nurses holding me down, as they take a needle and they give me a shot in every single war in the bottom of my right foot, and I'm having trouble standing right now. I'm feeling so much pain as I tell this story, right? I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. My dad's out in the waiting room, walks back to make sure I'm okay. My mom's back there like, what's going on? All the nurses are crying because I sound like I'm being tortured. And to this day, I hate needles. Now, I will get a shot if I have to. Like, I've, I've gotten over it enough. And people will say, Jason, it's no big deal. That was 12. This is just one. It's just taking blood. It's just whatever. Like, I'm scarred. Something happened in my past that messed me up, and now I, it's there. Let, let me give you one more. So, Andrew and I were married a, two years, whatever. We bought a house and wasn't in the greatest neighborhood. And over six, a, a period of six years, our house was robbed four times. And after the third time, like, I started, rightfully so, kind of getting freaked out about it. And, and then last summer, we ended up moving from that house. And then last summer, our church was robbed twice, like back to back, like two weeks apart. And um, luckily, everything's great. We got it all worked out. So, like, I've been robbed, plus my car. I didn't think about that. I've been robbed seven times in my life, okay? And because of that experience... You probably don't have this experience, but because of that experience for me, I expect to be robbed. Like when I'm coming home from a trip and I'm 30 minutes from my house, my thought is, I wonder what they took. Like that's my thought. If I'm walking down the street and I see somebody walking towards me, I'm like, are they going to rob me? Like that's my thought. And you're like, Jason, you need to talk to somebody. I do. I, I talk to somebody about it. I never was a fearful person when it came to that, but because of my experiences, does that make sense? Some of you were assaulted, some of you were abused, some of you were, uh, like something happened in your life. And those things now bleed over into you as an adult, and without even realizing it, because we're only born with two fears, we've developed all these other fears in our lives that shape us. And so as soon as we get ready to do something great for God or to take a step of faith, there's always going to be something that happens that reminds us we need to be afraid. It reminds us what we could lose or tells us what's at stake or why this is a bad idea. But if you want to do something great for God and really embrace everything that he has for you, 
there are going to come points in your life where you're going to have to look at everything that could go wrong, maybe wrong, everything that you're afraid of, and you will have to have courage. Courage. I read an interesting article uh, recently about NASA and how they're trying to get a man to Mars. They've been trying to do this for years. I thought Matt Damon already did it, but evidently not. I don't know. They should just ask him. But um, they're trying to get a man to Mars, and so there's all sorts of reasons why it's a struggle, obviously. But the biggest reason is not the reason you'd probably expect. It's not storing enough food or having enough fuel for the, the, sh- the ship or the jet or whatever they call it. It's, uh, it's, it's actually muscle mass. It's kind of crazy to think about, but um, that the biggest challenge to get a man to Mars is the fact that after the astronauts are in space for 30 days, their muscles begin to break down because there's no gravity. And they've got to be in the ship for years to get to Mars. So by the time they were able to get there, they would have no strength to be able to move because there is no gravity. And, and what NASA said is that our muscles need resistance in order to stay strong. It's pretty incredible. Now, NASA didn't say this, but I thought that'll preach. And so I, I, I just begin to think about the fact that, like, I don't like resistance. You don't like resistance. But it is resistance in our life that forces us to grow. You are who you are today because of the things that you have come through. You are who you are today because of the resistance that you leaned into and you got through it. And so NASA... In order to try to keep the muscles strong for the astronauts, have started in recent missions having the the astronauts do an hour every day of certain exercises, resistance training exercises, in order to, to keep muscles strong. And this was my thought when I read that. I wonder what my life would look like if I took an hour every day to do something that I want to resist. That's pretty incredible, right? Like NASA's saying, take an hour to do resistance training. And my first thought was, God, what could you do in my life if I took an hour every day to do the thing that I want to resist? What would your life look like? What could your future look like if you decided, you know what? This is the dream, but there are three or four things that I am afraid of or wanting to resist. There's some things that I, I'm not sure about. I'm going for it. I would go as far as to say that God's will for your life, or I would say it like this, you will find God's will for your life on the other side after you do the thing that you've been afraid to do. So what are you afraid to do? What is it that you're afraid to do? What is it that you've been resisting? Maybe it's applying for the job that you feel like you're not qualified for. Maybe it's quitting a job. Maybe it's emptying the savings account for the business. Maybe it's confessing something, admitting something, admitting you have a problem. Maybe it's going to rehab. Maybe maybe it is asking someone for help. What have you been afraid to do? And I'm not talking about in the last three days. I'm talking about the last three months, the last three years, the last decade. You know it. 
You know you know it. God won't leave you alone. And you can't help but keep wondering what could happen. What if? Maybe, God. That would be incredible, God. But I just don't know if I can fill in the blank. You will find God's perfect and pleasing will when you do that thing that you just thought of in that blank. Maybe it's break up with them. Maybe it's ask them out. Maybe it's move out. Maybe it's to finally get married. What is it? What if you decided I'm going to lean into the things that I want to resist and I'm going to do the things that I've been afraid, afraid to do? So let's, let's wrap this up. Paul says, and, and this is what we need to hear as we look to our future and we think about God's will for our life, Paul says, you need three things. Really, maybe two, but we'll just make them three. Expectation, hope, and courage. You want to do something great with your life, you know what you need? Expectation, hope, and courage. You've got to get your hopes up and you've got to put your big boy pants on. And if you'll decide tomorrow when you wake up, I'm going to be hopeful about the future and expect great things from God for my life, and I'm going to lean into the things that I want to resist and do the things that I'm scared to do, you know what you're going to find? God's will. And you're going to live a life that you never imagined is possible because expectation, hope, and courage. Let's pray.